Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What is up and welcome back to Lights Out, a haunting in Honolulu. My God, there's a lot of haunted history there. Limitless. So as the legend of Hawaii goes, there was once a mythical fisherman and a navigator. His name was... Hawaii Loa. But many of Honolulu's haunted stories tie back to the island's history. Some of these spirits that have been around for centuries are known as the Night Marchers. And it looked like a line of fire ants marching down the mountain by Dillingham Airfield, Kalihi Palama. It was built up as an industrial working class neighborhood, and it stands as one of the most haunted regions in the city. It kind of reminds me of La Llorona. Even today, Many of the training staff report hearing someone door checking their offices, much like a security guard would. But when they go to see who it is, no one was there. Light out, everybody. What is up and welcome back to Lights Out. I'm your host, Josh, and we're joined, or we're joined, I'm joined by my co-host, Austin. Hey, what's and, up, man? Oh, dude, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm living. You know, it's a week of Thanksgiving as you're seeing this. It's Black Friday. Yeah. Which, always a good time on time Black to, Friday. Time to, you know, empty Camp my bank out. account. Yeah. Camp <laughs> out at Walmart yeah. and try to get that... <laughs> That TV storm you know? in, yeah. storm in. God, I used to work retail oh, at Best Buy, that's right? And Black Friday was Nightmare. madness, like literally mobbed in there. Only Americans too. It's like the people just smashing, people pushing through. each other. Yeah. It's it's just crazy <laughs> to like run to go get that like three hundred dollar TV that is usually three hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. You it was know. it was marked up anyways, so it's like barely marked down. You're not even really getting that much of a deal. Which, you know, if you're one of those people that goes out on Black Friday, like props to you. I, I can't do it anymore. It's just too hectic. I did Micro Center one year. Oh, I bet that's nuts. That was out of control. A lot of smells, a lot of sights. Yeah, a lot of smells. <laughs> but anyways, I'm joined by uh, also our producer, Danny. What's up, man? What's up, guys? We got a great episode for you today. We're kind of getting back to the roots of what makes Lights Out such an amazing place to hang out and talk thing all paranormal today, yeah. which is which is a, a bit different for us as of late, as we've been covering a lot of different true crime cases. But I'm excited to get into a haunting in Honolulu. I mean, my God, there's a lot of haunted history there. So much. It's limitless. Limitless, yeah. yeah. Like we can't even cover all. I had to it. boil it down. We we're covering a city, not yeah, even, a city within Hawaii. Yeah. Hawaii. I couldn't even cover the hauntings in one city. So there's so much out there. It's crazy. And one of the reasons that Honolulu caught my eyes. I mean, I love Hawaii. I love Honolulu. I mean, I love love the people, love the culture. But I ran across the Honolulu Police Department's YouTube channel. Yeah. And my God, 
they are really into the paranormal. They guys. are. I know they haven't posted in years, but that channel is awesome. I wish they kept it up. I think yeah. there's like 11 videos or something out there, but it's great. We'll be diving into that a little bit towards the end of the episode. But we got a lot of different places with a lot of haunting going on here in Honolulu. But before we get into all of that, I do have a few quick announcements. So just bear with me. I'm going to try to go through this as fast as I can. But there are a couple things I wanted to announce. First off, I'm wearing it right here. You might be like, what's Josh wearing? Well, I am wearing the new Lights Out hoodie that just dropped on lightsoutcast.shop. And I am so happy with this hoodie. We've been working on it for a little while. This is a heavyweight premium hoodie. It's very good quality. It'll keep you warm as the weather gets colder and colder. I mean, I'm, I'm toasty warm. And I'm not wearing anything under this other than the hoodie. It's just, it's just naked under there. Just, yeah. No pants. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this thing is awesome. We, we did puffed print, which I didn't even know yeah. was a thing. And so the lights out uh, logo here on the front is like puffed up. And I've already put it through the wash and it held up just fine. Same, yeah. Really nice. Feels real nice to touch. You know, if you just like to rub your, rub your chest <laughs> from time to time. And then on the back, and I'm not going to stand up, but on the back we have basically like the take on the cover art for lights out which is really cool so it's a whole print down the back really really nice hoodie that is now on sale for you guys at lightsoutcast.shop definitely pick one up if you want one because there's definitely limited quantities and again i don't know if we'll be able to restock this one because my god is merch hard to do these days with just the way the world is and supply chain issues i mean it's hard to to crank out new merch items so if you want it go get it while you can but moving on, I wanted to also quickly mention uh, a very cool project we've been hard at work here at Malhar Media on. It is the new true crime documentary on a very, very interesting case and a case that desperately needs justice. But this documentary is going to be dropping before the end of the year on my wife's YouTube channel, Kendall Ray. And we want to just uh, show you the teaser trailer here real quick so uh, you can get as excited as we are for it. Let's go ahead and roll it. Every time I watch that, it just gives me chills. That's awesome. I'm excited for it. I really don't know the case at all, so I'm, I'm kind of an outsider here. But yeah, it's gonna awesome. it's gonna blow people's minds just because I mean, the corruption in this city and the lack of support from police is just out of this world. I mean, it's it's truly crazy how little has been done in this this murder case. It's you know, we're hoping the goal of this documentary is to hopefully obviously raise awareness, but hopefully put the pressure on the police to actually investigate it. I mean, it's it's truly baffling how really most of the South is like the Wild West when it comes to, to crime. It, it, that's the way it feels, at least. But that's a great goal for a documentary is yeah. to actually see something come of it. Yeah, change, I mean, that's right? that's the goal with it. I mean, we immerse ourselves with the, the victim's family when doing this and um, you know, we'll have some more trailers coming with a little bit more, you know, information. Obviously, that's just a teaser uh, here in the next couple, couple of weeks um, that was done with 
uh, some of our other members here at Malhar Media. Uh, shout out James and, and Tom. And then obviously Janelle and Kendall and myself. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really uh, cool experience. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with all of you. But yeah, that's that's what we got going on here at Malahar Media because we're not just we're not just lazy podcasters over here, all right? <laughs> we do we do more than that. Okay, I'm a lazy podcaster. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we already knew that, but you know, we do a lot of cool stuff here and and some different projects. And you know, we've been talking about potentially even doing a, a little uh, lights out uh, short film for next year potentially. And I'm so down. Which I know many of you have like, Josh, come on, man, we want to see it or a little paranormal investigation or just. Let's drop Austin in the woods somewhere and see with a GoPro <laughs> yeah. and see what happens. Naked you know? and afraid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, whatever whatever uh, you guys want to see. But uh, yeah, really cool. Excited to bring more of that to you here in the next couple of weeks. More thing before we jump into haunting in Honolulu, I did want to mention that through the end of the year, my company is matching dollar for dollar every donation made to Kendall Ray's NECMEC campaign. Uh, we also have neck mech hoodies and t-shirts and stuff like that available over at kindleray.shop but everybody here uh, works on neck mech cases and we work very closely with them i was just out there in washington dc with with kendall for uh their annual gala so it's something that we we take very seriously and you know we're very motivated in helping such a great organization and all the things that they do not just bring missing kids home but uh child uh, exploitation online i mean all sorts of different things and be getting into more more of that in the new year and starting some campaigns here on lights out as well uh, with neck mech which will be very exciting but i just wanted to put that out there for any of you that are interested in donating or uh, copying some uh, neck mech merch we are matching all of those donations dollar for dollar okay well with that out of the way let us dive into a haunting in honolulu and i think to start it's always good especially with the haunting episodes to really kind of give a brief history on on the locations because i think it's very obvious once you dive into the yes, history a little bit exactly everything kind of unfolds naturally if you look into the history of a place a lot of the time sometimes not but in this case especially so everyone uh get your spiral notebooks out danny cue the uh, uh hawaiian polynesian music please <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love me some classic uh, Hawaiian music it's just so relaxing that'd be little, great actually little seaside yeah. wave action going yeah, on you know and then it turns abruptly dark to violence yeah. and yeah, yeah and death but yeah get your uh get your notebooks out get your number two pencils there's gonna be a pop quiz at the end Danny <laughs> <laughs> so as the legend of Hawaii goes there was once a mythical fisherman and a navigator his name was Hawaii Loa and he became famous for his long and dangerous fishing expeditions. He and his crew once followed an eastern star until they stumbled upon a large island during one of these great expeditions. The land was fertile and filled with coconut trees, and his men named the island in his honor. Hawaii Loa then returned to his homeland to bring his family to settle on the islands of Hawaii. He brought along his wife and children, his eldest son Maui, his younger son Kauai, and his daughter Oahu. It's believed that his descendants and the other travelers that came with him went on to populate the islands of Hawaii. But aside from mythology, of course, the earliest archaeological evidence of the original Polynesian explorers date back to somewhere between 300 and 700 CE, and they first inhabited the island between 1000 and 1200 CE. Centuries later, in 1778, 
Captain James Cook, a British explorer, stumbled upon Kauai. After sailing the islands, Captain Cook renamed them the Sandwich Islands. And thank God they're not called that anymore. Yeah, what what a terrible name. name. So stupid. But here's a little lore for you. He named them in honor of his sponsor, John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, which our listeners might remember him as a member of the... I was going to say, sounds familiar. He's a member of the Hellfire Club. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) We love their... uh, their outreach. Yes. The Hellfire Club. <laughs> and really helping the world. Yeah, exactly. Supposedly, the, as the legend has it, he was the first one to discover the sandwich. We don't know how true that lore is, but that's the story told. After James Cook's arrival, many battles broke out in the late 1700s, obviously between the natives and these new Europeans that think they can just take the place. And John was later killed during a battle. The islands, after a time, were then controlled by one Hawaiian ruler, and his name was King Kamehameha, the Great, which I always think of uh, Dragon Ball Z, the, you know, Kamehameha. Nope. Lost you. Lost me, man. Dragon <laughs> Ball it. Z is a little little out there for me, That's, but I grew okay, up watching bro. it. <laughs> okay. But anyways, so this unfortunate power struggle between the Hawaiians and the Europeans went on for decades. Um, Protestant missionaries started coming over. They started converting much of the island's population over the next century. And it wasn't long after that they started discovering that there were these islands were rich in resources. And this attracted many European visitors and, of course, entrepreneurs. Around this time, it's believed that the population of native Hawaiians is somewhere roughly between 250,000 and 800,000. So quite a lot of people were already here. And unfortunately, nearly one in 17 native Hawaiians died from diseases that were introduced by the colonizers because they had no resistance to influenza, smallpox, measles, or the whooping cough. So these diseases, along with the bloodshed from the ongoing battles, killed more than half the native Hawaiian population. After the Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii was signed in 1887, the King of Hawaii was stripped of all control. And as years passed, strict voting laws, which tale as old as time, of course, they're favoring the rich Europeans, especially the landowners. Yeah, nothing's uh, changed there. Yeah, honestly. And the Euro-Americans staged a coup against the native kingdom. The United States then overthrew the local government and its queen in 1893. It wasn't until almost a century later Finally, in 1993, President Bill Clinton signed a resolution bill officially apologizing for overthrowing that government, and he claimed it was illegal. Now, it's just an apology. Yeah, Yeah. nothing came of it. It was just... Sorry. Yeah, that's basically... It was just an apology. That's all it was, and nothing really came of it, but it was just a gesture. After this overthrow, which was in 1893, Hawaii became a U.S. territory... And in 1898, it was heavily exploited for its resources. Foreign landowners brought in cheap laborers from several other countries, and this included China, Japan, Korea, Puerto Rico, Portugal, and the Philippines. And today, these people's offsprings contributed to the multicultural population of Hawaii, which is kind of cool. At the time, though, these laborers, they weren't even paid in U.S. currency most of the time. They were given these scripts that were basically like coupons, Uh, These coupons, if you worked on a plantation, 
you could only redeem these things at a plantation store where you could buy basic goods. So basically food stamps. Yeah, exactly. Or like their version of it. Very restricted food stamps, yep. And of course, all you could buy was what the plantation yeah, store stocked. Yeah. So I mean, very limited. Still exploitation at its finest. Yep. Management, if I mean, this should tell you everything. Management assigned the laborers numbers. They didn't even use their real names. So very dehumanizing. Here. Yeah. Very sad. And I mean, if we fast forward several decades, of course, we have December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and it took almost another two decades before Hawaii finally became a state in 1959. Meanwhile, Hawaii's largest city and capital, Honolulu, had been growing for centuries on the southeastern shores of Oahu. Through early Polynesian settlement, war, colonization, and statehood, Honolulu somehow survived it all. It's a metro area now, has a population of over a million people, and it's visited by 7.6 million people a year. It's very, very crowded. With all its history and with all the countless souls who have visited the island over the past 2,000 years, the city and the surrounding areas have become prime locations for many paranormal hauntings. So that leads us to our first haunting. After the overthrow of the local government in the late 1800s and the invasion of more colonizers, the Oahu Sugar Company built a sugar mill in Waipahu, about 20 miles northwest of Honolulu city center. This was a time when the island's exploitation was really at an all-time high. Management of the mill imported cheap laborers and gave them housing on the plantation. And as you can imagine, the pay was absolutely terrible and the work was very, very intense. The workers were originally segregated by language and culture, but they came together when resources like food and water became scarce. In 1973, the county of Honolulu set up a four-acre park across from the mill. It's now a history museum called Plantation Village. Here, there are 25 replicas of community buildings and plantation houses that once stood on the plantation grounds in the early 1900s. Many people who visit here have reported immediately getting an eerie feeling, and it's believed that most of the village buildings are in fact haunted. The small houses, community areas, plantation stores, barbershops, and sumo ring have all experienced paranormal activity. Today, during the Halloween season, they convert the museum into a haunted attraction with actors. But even the actors who are paid to scare the guests get scared themselves. In a span of about 10 years, 40 people have abruptly quit working at this haunted attraction. And many say it's because the area is truly haunted and some of the workers have been attacked by unseen forces. Many believe they are tied to the history of the plantation. One legend that dates back to the early 1900s tells the story of a plantation worker and his daughter. According to the story, he woke up one day to find that his wife had abandoned him in the middle of the night, and he now had to cover the cost of their rent or risk getting evicted. And he also now had to raise a five-year-old daughter on his own. Up until now, they had kept her a secret from the managers, hoping they wouldn't take her or put her to work. The problem was the man had nothing in common with his daughter. She was interested in making dresses for her dolls or making crowns out of palm fronds, and he had no idea how to interact with his daughter. The bigger problem was that his daughter looked exactly like his wife, and every time he looked at her, he was reminded of how his wife had abandoned them. After a long day of work, the man had no interest in sewing doll clothing or making fake crowns, and he never made time for her, which is just sad. Instead, he would tie her to a chair during the day while he was out in the fields in order to keep her a secret. He'd leave her some fruit to eat and dolls to play with. While he was out in the fields, he'd act like he was a single man with no children. The worst kind of dad. He also started working longer hours and planting seeds in the fields so he didn't have to be home with her. 
But one day he noticed gray puffs of smoke in the sky. They soon became black and someone shouted, fire. A group of workers fetched pails of water and ran towards the fire and each plantation house was obviously built very close to one another. If one was on fire, then the rest were at serious risk for catching fire too. But the man refused to help out. He knew his daughter was still trapped inside his home, but instead of going to save her, he just watched the fire spread. Since the managers didn't know he had a daughter and he figured he could let her die in the fire and start his life over as a single man, he was like, eh, I'll just leave her. And to not look suspicious, he eventually grabbed a pail of water and slowly approached the line of houses and poured a little water out. And I'm just seeing this playing on my head. This guy with a pail of water just barely dumping a few drops out. Total like scumbag. What on earth? But that's when he heard the screams of his daughter. He ran across the row of houses towards his own. None of the others seemed to hear the screaming as they were too busy trying to contain the flames. He looked through the blazing doorway of his home and saw his daughter still tied to the chair, but the ropes that he had tied her with looked like they had somehow burned away. Her skin gave off a bright glow as the flames surrounded her, and when she screamed it sounded like it wasn't coming from her mouth. The screaming surrounded the man from all sides. As he stepped away from his home, the other workers kept trying to douse the flames. He feared that they would see his daughter inside his home. Through the door, she kept her eyes on him, even when the entire house was engulfed in flames. This is just a haunting image to think about. When the fire was finally extinguished and the home had mostly collapsed, a woman approached his house. He feared she would see his daughter inside. But before he could stop her, the woman entered the home and began crying at what she saw. As she stepped out of the house, she held a child's body in her arms. The young girl's skin was bubbling. In some spots, they could see her bone. She was covered in third-degree burns, and he couldn't believe what he was seeing. When his daughter was inside the house, she looked completely unaffected by the fire, but now she was clearly dead, and he began to weep. After grieving for a moment, he looked up again and looked into his house. Sitting in the chair was his daughter, smiling at him. He looked down at the remains in front of him and noticed the braid in the child's hair. He had braided his daughter's hair that morning. There was no doubt that he was holding his dead daughter, but he could still see her figure inside the burned-down house. As he began weeping more, two villagers bent down next to him and asked him to hand the remains over so they could bury her, and then they carried her away. After a moment when he was all alone, he felt someone's hand on the back of his neck. As he turned his head, he saw his daughter perfectly preserved with a bright glow around her. Puffs of smoke came from her mouth as she spoke. She said, I'll stay by your side forever. We could have had so much fun together. Today, one of the most common paranormal sightings at the plantation village is the ghost of this young girl. She's often seen near or inside the replica Portuguese house. The executive director of the village, Jeffrey Higa, didn't believe in ghosts before he started working at the museum. But after only a few months, he changed his mind after witnessing the ghosts on the plantation, including that young girl. In the early 2010s, one of the guides felt her hair and shoulders being touched by an invisible force inside the house. Jeffrey found the guide crying and shaking. She was saying, I don't want her near me. I don't want her touching me. I don't want her bothering me. And the guide vowed to never go in the house again. The hauntings eventually got so bad that Jeffrey called a local minister, Reverend Kahu Silva, to investigate what was going on. He said he sensed a heavy spirit inside of the Portuguese house. He blessed the property by placing holy water in all the doors and windows. He then purified the home using Hawaiian salt and tea leaf. The reverend came to the conclusion that the ghostly girl was a good spirit. It's believed she has never been malicious to people she comes across, 
Shelly desperately wants to find a mother figure and play with her toys. After the blessing and cleansing, the spirit disappeared for a few years, but eventually, she returned. Luckily, she hasn't caused any harm, but other entities in the Plantation Museum aren't as friendly. Jeffrey started bringing his Border Collie to work with him if he'd ever have to go there alone. His dog never barked, but at the museum grounds, his dog would bark when it seemed like nothing was there, and Jeffrey knew to take it as a warning. Another famous entity is known to haunt a different replica house in the village. Visitors have seen a handmade Japanese doll outside of its case, usually on the center of the main floor. When guests look away from the doll and back again, it has moved across the room. And when guides return the doll to its case, they come back a few hours later, only to find it outside in a new location. Another worker claimed they had been grabbed and choked by a ghost after leaving the replica Okinawa house. And as a safety precaution, the visitors, guides, maintenance workers, and haunted house actors are no longer allowed to enter the houses alone. That is terrifying. Yeah. What a horrible and tragic story. I know. Imagine you're just like a teenager looking for a seasonal gig and you get traumatized like that. I can't get over the dad leaving his daughter in the house to burn alive. Oh, right? That's just... I know. The seething anger towards that guy I would have. Oh, how bad of a human being do you have to be to, to do that or to tie your daughter to a chair right while you pretend like she doesn't exist it's so gross. sickening but yeah you see what the japanese doll will kind of tie into a bit more japanese lore like i said uh, in the history of this area we get a lot of laborers that come from all these different countries and a lot of people think that It's believed that the Japanese laborers who came to the island in the late 1700s and 1800s, they might have also brought potentially some paranormal activity with them. Ooh. One of the most famous ghosts in Honolulu, the faceless woman, is believed to have Japanese origins. So we've we've covered yokais in the past. It might be a familiar name for some of you. Um, We've also, I know Danny and I have come across them while playing Phasmophobia. Really? They have yokais? Yeah, they have a whole slew of different spirits and entities in that game. Uh, Danny, pop quiz. Mm -hmm. What is the three pieces of evidence you need for a yokai in Phasmophobia? I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll be honest with you. Oh, boo, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Better get back to the plan. Spirit box, ghost orbs, and dots projector. Ah, There'll be another pop quiz coming up in a second, so you better refresh your memory. Is it phasmophobia related? Yes. Okay. (laughs) He's going to boot up phasmophobia on his computer real quick. (laughs) Do a quick investigation. (laughs) So as a refresher, yokai, uh, they're spirits from Japanese folklore. They date way back. Sometimes they have animal-like features or they're considered shapeshifters. Other times they're humanoid or have no discernible shape. So similar to what skinwalkers are to Native American yes, lore. Yes, very similar, yeah. But in this specific case, this yokai is believed to be a very specific type of yokai. And forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, but it's Naparabo, I believe it's pronounced. Naparabo. Yeah. Mm. This spirit is a humanoid, but it has no facial features. So or, like Slenderman. Yes, that's exactly what I thought too. Or it appears with a face at first. It might even be someone you're familiar with while you see it, but then all the facial features it's recede like until it's just this away. weird Ugh, blank yeah, face of skin, essentially. 
And they're often seen in isolated areas. So when you come across them, there's most likely no one else around. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's sweet. That's terrifying enough. One-on-one. Yeah. Uh, And even scarier, when you see them, their back is turned to you. So you don't even know they're faceless most of the time until you're up close to them. You're like, hey, how's it going? Oh, shit. Exactly. Then they slowly back away. Yeah. Then they turn the the head whip and it's right in your face. Oh, man. One of the earliest encounters with the faceless woman was in May 1959. A local newspaper reported that a group of children at a school in Palolo told their parents about an old man and a faceless woman they had encountered. The parents called the police and the local newspapers, but school officials said that the children were exaggerating their stories and spreading rumors, which eh, feels like it happens a lot to children whenever they see anything of the paranormal type it's it's easy to disregard kids because like oh you just have an active imagination yeah, you know it happens all the time i mean thinking about the the ufo landing in zimbabwe for oh all yeah those, that's uh, right for all those children i mean mm-hmm. a ton of them saw it but then they like chalked it up to oh you know one of them made it up and then you know it became real because it spread across all the other children their imagination ran wild and aliens didn't land in the schoolyard come on man yeah yeah but i don't know i'm not so sure i think i think if there's anybody that uh, a paranormal entity would reveal themselves to it would be children yeah why not i mean they have they don't have that like bias that true you as adults you know that's a good point i never thought about to be like oh that's not real you know what i mean yeah did you know that the average person spends 26 years sleeping god on average i wish because I just had that crazy bout of insomnia last night. You so. did. The first thing you say to me, come in, you're like, hey, I might be a little a little sleepy today. I'm zonked. I'm in the twilight zone right now, so I could use 26 years of sleep. But did you know you really do? I didn't make that up. That's awesome. I just spent 26 yeah, years like a of sleep. third of your life or something. Yeah. yeah. So what's, what's most important when you're sleeping, right? Your mattress. Do you have a good mattress? God, it's probably like nine years old right now. I might need a well, new one. You might need a new one because Helix is here to sponsor the episode today. Mattresses are one of the hardest purchases for a number of reasons. If you've ever been to a mattress store, which I don't even know how those are still around anymore. (laughs) It seems like they're everywhere, but there's never anybody in them. Right. I guess it's nice, though, because I would want to try it out. Try it out. But well, that's that's a beauty with uh, Helix. They do let you try out your mattress. Make sure you, you really enjoy it. They give you 100 nights on it. To really? decide whether or not you want to want to keep it, which is really cool. But they really customize their mattresses to fit your needs. And they have an online quiz that walks you through a bunch of different questions pertaining to how you sleep. Maybe you, you're a side sleeper, stomach sleeper, back sleeper. Maybe you like a cooler temperature versus a warmer temperature or softer to a more firm surface. Helix helps you find the perfect mattress for you. So based on the quiz, I got matched with the Helix Midnight Luxe mattress, and this is a medium feel side sleeper support, which I will test that I sleep on my side. If I sleep on my back, I snore and I get a pill thrown in my face. So I have to stay on my side. And I got to say, I never wake up feeling sore. My neck's never sore. My back always feels great because it also has that enhanced lumbar support. Truly, truly comfortable. Helix has won all sorts of awards and mentions by CNET and Wired and all these other publications. It really is a fire mattress company. I mean, for example, the Helix Midnight Lux has 
5,695 reviews and it's like a 4.9 rating. That's really good. So that's a lot of people that have reviewed this mattress. It is really that good. So instead of having to go to the mattress store and then trying to figure out how you're going to lug home a giant mattress tied to the top of your car or wait for a delivery to come, you can just order the Helix mattress right from their website. And we have a special offer for you as well to take advantage of. But once you get it, it comes in a nice, neat box. It's all rolled up. So you just take the box up to the bedroom, you open it up, you cut the plastic off of it, and then you just let it basically form itself. And within, I don't know, like 30 minutes or so, it's like completely ready to go. And it's so, so comfortable. Say goodbye to sleep paralysis demons. Only happy dreams on the Helix Midnight Locks. Plus, Helix mattresses come with a 10-year warranty. And they offer financing options and flexible payment plans. So if you're looking for a new mattress, you know, it's kind of the end of the year. It's time to treat yourself. I got a special offer for you. Right now, Helix is running some sweet Cyber Week deals. I mean really hard to beat this 25% off plus a free sleep bundle because again this video is sponsored by helix sleep it is their best sale of the year and it's running now so it's a perfect time to upgrade your mattress you can get 25% off your purchase plus a free sleep bundle for a limited time check out the helix site for more details only four days later an editorial reported a recent sighting of the woman she was seen at Wailai Drive-In Theater in the neighborhood of Kaimuki. A teenage girl had been at the theater and headed into the restroom around midnight. She looked in the mirror to apply a fresh coat of lipstick. And in the reflection of the mirror, she saw a figure standing in the shadows behind her. The figure looked like the lower half of its body was invisible. She wore long hair roughly parted to the side. And as it turned to look at her, she noticed the figure had no face. As the girl turned away from the mirror to look at the figure, it was gone. The restroom door then slammed shut, and after a moment, the girl heard the click of the lock. Whew, that's scary to think about. The girl screamed and then fainted. When she was discovered on the bathroom floor, she was taken to the hospital. In another story, a young woman went into the drive-in restroom and saw another woman near the bathroom sink staring into the mirror. She was slowly combing her long hair that shrouded her face. As the young woman approached the bathroom sink, the faceless woman whipped her head around. That right there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the sound effects. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely Welcome. like a whip. Yeah, going off. exactly. That's what I'm thinking. This that young, would be, yeah. that would be terrifying though. I can imagine it in like a horror movie. Yeah. Like, right. Really see her face. You expect to see a face and then it whips around and yeah, it's just blank. blank. The young woman was so frightened by the image of the bearskin face that she suffered a nervous breakdown and was later hospitalized, which don't really blame her there. Brutal. Many years later, the paranormal author in Hawaii, his name is Lopaka Kapanui. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. I He taught me a lot about hauntings in Hawaii and especially Honolulu. He supposedly once ran into a woman who claimed she knew who the faceless woman was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Lopaka has his own blog and YouTube channel. It's called Mysteries of Hawaii. If you want to go check it out, his content's great. The faceless woman was allegedly this woman's childhood best friend. This woman, I'll just be referring to as this woman or woman because I don't know her name. As children, they both dreamed of one day getting married and they fantasized about their wedding ceremonies and dresses as they got a little older this woman noticed her friend began to change and 
their friendship eventually faded away, which I feel like happens to a lot of childhood friends. I don't know about you, but Nick Ricci. They fade away? Yeah. There are a lot that I still am super close with, like preschool friends that I still am close with, but I don't know. I feel like some childhood friends, you just kind of grow up and... Yeah, I left all of them behind. There's <laughs> They all left me. <laughs> I feel like there's no breaking point a lot of the times, though. It's kind of just a gradual fade. Whereas Kendall, she's still his friends, good friends with uh, the people she grew up in her neighborhood with. But again, I think it's different for everybody, too, because depending on if you live in one place, it's a little bit easier to hold on to those friends longer right yeah, i don't know if, did you move around a lot as a kid no so that's why and i was in the same school for a long time oh, yeah. so i have like i still have friends from preschool first grade oh that's cool yeah. yeah i was always jealous of people like that because i moved 13 times and went to like 12 schools and Man, you had to learn how to make new friends oh i'm an expert on making yeah. friends i was i was so privileged with just i was like new year new school year i don't have to make same new friends. guys the same yeah. dudes yeah. same dude <laughs> that's cool though yeah. So this childhood friend of this woman's, they, you know, they just, it just gradually faded away and they eventually lost contact with each other. One day, many years later, the lady ran into her old friend and she was surprised to see this, you know, they had both grown up. This other woman now had three grown children with her, but unfortunately she said she had married, but her husband had recently passed away. She did notice that her old friend was wearing this very expensive, white yukata which is basically a summer kimono and when she asked her old friend why she was wearing the yukata her friend responded because i can and you can't it's a kind of a very snobbish response and as you can guess this was the last time she ever spoke to her old childhood friend years later through the grapevine she found out that her old friend had spent all the money her husband had left her and she was deeply in debt. And eventually her three children wanted nothing to do with her and they moved to the continental U S so they just abandoned her. And it's believed that she eventually passed away with no one at her side. But late one night, the woman and her husband woke up to the sound of wailing outside their window. Her husband went to the window and yelled, Urusai, which means shut up. You're noisy in, in Japanese. The woman told her husband to just let it go, come back to bed. But when she looked out the window herself, she saw it was her old childhood friend wearing her white yukata. She was walking up and down the street, crying about her sad situation, wailing. Everyone she once loved was now gone. And she had, you know, quote, lost face, as in she was embarrassed and humiliated for everything that had happened in her life. But she also literally lost her face and it's believed that that woman now roams honolulu and the surrounding areas without her face for eternity the woman is still seen today around wailai and one of the most common places to spot her is in the kahala mall in the downstairs restroom so if you want to go try and see her mm. today you downstairs out bathroom mall, huh? in the mall <laughs> yeah. you want the intimate you'll probably see encounter. some other shit down there yeah, i was gonna say i can only imagine it kind of reminds me of La Llorona. Yes. Kind yeah, of a similar, the wailing woman. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a similar story. You know, it's a very sad and tragic human existence and yeah. then just in constant suffering. Yeah. Trapped here. Very similar. In that, between. I, that was a great episode. I like that one a lot. It is it isn't it interesting though, like across all cultures, how similar these paranormal stories are? Yeah. Like they all have their own unique cultural details, but the 
the meat of the stories is very much the same. Yeah, someone just in permanent suffering the yeah. rest of their days. Yeah. So make sure you live a happy life, Austin. <laughs> I will try no, to do I don't my need best. you hanging around my house or my place of business forever. Can, can you imagine my spirit just constantly wailing outside your home? Just wailing at the coffee machine. We see <laughs> yeah. Austin's go- just Where's every time we get my coffee. coffee. <laughs> Either that or or the other place we'd see is the bathroom for sure. Those oh, two that's, go hand I spend hand, most know? of my time. It's coffee machine, bathroom, <laughs> yeah. desk. And you back, like, it's the trifecta. It's, it's the, the perfect triangle. It's like the Bermuda Triangle yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. And in the middle of all that is Danny somewhere getting lost. So across the city from Wailai is the district of Kalihi Palama. It was built up as an industrial working class neighborhood, and it stands as one of the most haunted regions in the city. Back in 1938, a young man named Aurelio Martinez had lived in tenement housing on Dacia Lane. The surrounding community tended to a small plot of land that surrounded the main housing building. The grounds were also the resting place of a man who had died almost 40 years earlier. The headstone read, William N. Inman, born in Northbridge, Massachusetts, December 31st, 1849, died in Honolulu on March 12, 1897 with a quote that says, I'm waiting for you, mother. One night, Aurelio was outdoors when he felt a force hug him violently around the torso. It held him tight for several seconds before letting go. He told others who lived in the building, and it turned out he wasn't the only one who experienced something supernatural at the property. His father, who was the one taking care of William's headstone, admitted he had seen the ghost every night around 11 or 12. Several neighbors also came forward claiming they'd seen the ghost. They described him as a very tall man dressed in black slacks and a coat. He had red hair and his legs were bent like he was weighed down by something on his back. Others had heard him howling in the night. Sometimes he was accompanied by another ghost who appeared as a Hawaiian woman. She was often seen wearing a dark colored holoku, a traditional one-piece Hawaiian gown. The tall man told some of the tenants that he was William, the man buried on the property, and he was the old owner of the tenements, and he had no interest in harming the residents. But some of the tenants then wondered why he had terrorized Aurelio. It was later discovered that Aurelio had been sick when he encountered the paranormal force. Many believed his ghost was trying to warn people of an illness they had. Another tenant's son witnessed the entity standing by a mailbox out in the lane, and the next day his father became ill. It was then believed that what they were experiencing was a wraith. Like a ring wraith. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. But nice. I just watched Searching Fellow- for the Ring. I watched Fellowship uh, oh. the last week. Man, that holds up. I haven't watched it in a few years, but holy crap, man! Extended edition all day. Ah, oh, the music, everything. Not to get too off track, because I know we could talk about. Oh, Lord we the can Rings take for, a minute to, to glorify <laughs> only the greatest work of of fantasy of all time. It's so good, and those movies just oh, they do the books justice too. They do. I, I mean, what? basically perfect adaptations i know they're not you know one-to-one ratio but, but there's, there's a lot no of way changes. they could do that no yeah it wouldn't work but man they really made those movies work but yeah those wraiths were terrifying i thought they depicted uh ring wraiths terrifying in those which i mean clearly J.R.R. tolkien took that idea from somewhere right? right exactly he was very well researched in his uh in what he was creating but the word wraith comes from, which, hey, Tolkien was a, ling- a linguist, yeah, so right. I wonder if he pulled from this. The word wraith comes from the Scottish word for ghost, apparition, or spirit. 
Wraiths are either undead creatures or ghost-like images of a person, and they're also common in phasmophobia. Not pop, sponsored. Pop. <laughs> Not sponsored by phasmo <laughs> phasmophobia people. All right, second pop quiz, Danny. What's the wraith evidence? Come on. Uh, I know EMF level five is one of them. Oh, nice. I know spirit box is one of Are them. Are you cheating over there? Did you look it up? No, I can't remember the third one, but I know that in the game they're floating and they can't uh, disturb salt. So that's how you know immediately. Okay. He knows his wraith shit. That's for sure. It's, it's dots projectors. Ah, dots. That was really good. I'll give you 80%. Yeah, take it. <laughs> you, you so bet. note to self, don't bring Danny on the paranormal investigation. <laughs> yeah. <'cause>. yeah. <laughs> Don't you? He'll get you like two thirds of the way there. To be, fair, to be fair, in the game you have a journal, so you don't have to remember it. True. Yeah, you just reference the journal, but the real ones memorize it. <laughs> so sometimes wraiths are seen just before the death of the person that they're resembling, which is terrifying. It's believed they can recognize the spirits of those who are about to die and then seize their souls. So it's believed that. These wraiths are more the embodiment of a dead person rather than the actual soul or spirit of the deceased. Not to quote Lord of the Rings again, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah, there the you kings go. of men. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's really interesting. So, yeah, Tolkien did his research. Another haunted location in the Kalihi Palama neighborhood is the local water pumping station. By the late 1800s, they needed to supply fresh water to the growing population of Honolulu. At the time, this neighborhood dealt with water shortages because whalers, people who hunt whales, would come to shore when they needed food and water. So by 1901, they constructed the Kalihi Pumping Station, but during its construction, they ran into several problems. In July of 1900, they dug into the soil in front of the unfinished station, and the workmen discovered a group of skeletons while demoing a section of the rocky soil. That's never a good sign. As the dynamite went off, fragments of the skeletal remains shot across the property, and workers spent hours recovering thigh bones, femurs, tibias, and portions of skulls. There was also small chunks of worm-eaten wood from several decaying coffins. After the explosion, they recovered so many remains and pieces of skull that they had to begin shoveling them into the back of wagons, like debris. Soon after, they unearthed the perfectly preserved skeletal remains of a 6'3 Hawaiian male. As the old newspaper article describes... It was a quote, a magnificent framework of bones. But the remains were so damaged when the skeleton was extracted that it had been broken into pieces. Another set of skeletons had been buried in an upright position with their feet downward. Scattered remnants of pottery were also found scattered among the bodies, but it's unclear what they had been used for. The water commissioner at the time said he expected to find dozens of more skeletons in the area beneath the scaffolding of the water pumping station. When they investigated the skeletons, researchers noticed that the skulls of many of the skeletons were actually in great condition, and many of the teeth were still intact, which was rare. Local Hawaiian natives soon claimed that the area was once used as a burial place as late as the 1850s. So Level just of, disturbing native burial grounds. Yeah, in the most horrific way. And not too. even like trying to be careful too. It was just like, oops, yeah. all right, now let's detonate it. And know? they even said, they were like, oh, we found a perfectly preserved 6'3 Hawaiian male Immediately, sanction that off as like a historical yeah instead site, they try to site. instead they try to extract it and they destroy the remains it's like god almighty but someone's loved ones down there man yeah, what are you seriously doing? so unfortunately i mean this is pretty common um especially back in the day finding bones and burial grounds i mean this is like riddled in hawaii's history 
Well, it's, a, it's just such a small area of land. I mean, exactly. And we've seen, we know there's so much bloodshed and all the victims who had died from the disease that was brought over. I mean, there's countless bodies uh, buried here. The skeletal remains of their ancestors, though, the native Hawaiian ancestors, they, it really has a critical role in their spirituality. And I found this fascinating. Hey, I think Tolkien will appreciate the linguist. The linguini here. But I think, uh, hey, I think Tolkien will appreciate the linguistics here. The Hawaiian word, which I believe is pronounced kanu, means to plant or to cultivate, but it also means to bury a deceased person. And figuratively, it means hereditary. So if you think of this, the multiple uses of that word says a lot about Hawaiian culture. Cultivate, bury, hereditary, right? Traditional native Hawaiians see the burial of remains as a form of spiritual cultivation. And once they bury their ancestors, their bones are believed to nourish the living. This is a way to strengthen their ancestral foundation and sustain their living families. Then it becomes the responsibility of the living to protect these grounds and pass on these traditions. And unfortunately, these, these burial grounds have just been disturbed countless times over the years. In native Hawaiian beliefs, the worst thing that can happen to your bones would be to leave them out in the open exposed to the sun or if someone wanted to insult you they would steal your bones fashion them into arrowheads and kill rats with them it's believed that the disturbance of these burial grounds reduces the spiritual essence or mana provided by the ancestors and just like many of the burial sites for indigenous people on the mainland of north america the native people of hawaii experienced similar problems throughout the years because when the Europeans arrived in Hawaii, they began looting, destroying these burial grounds, or just constructing buildings on top of them, as we see with this water pumping station. So this, along with natural erosion, led to the desecration and removal of thousands of ancestral Native Hawaiians. Many of these ancestral remains were shipped to universities and museums throughout the U.S. and Europe. In the 1900s, this is crazy. It's estimated that the burial sites of more than 5,000 Hawaiian ancestors were desecrated, and many of the preserved remains were shipped to museums. Oh, my God. But luckily, nowadays, people are more sensitive to this. And, you know, I guess the silver lining in all this, just last year, Yale's Peabody Museum, they actually returned ancestral remains back to Hawaii, and it had been in their collection since the 1870s. Oh my God. Yeah. I, mean, and I don't know how much good that does at this point. I know, right? I mean, at least it's going back. That's that's the small silver lining here. But thanks to the 1990 Native American Graves Protection Act, Native American and Native Hawaiian tribes can actually reclaim stolen human remains and sacred objects and kind of return them to their burial place. Oh, God, I can't believe that happened. I know, such a mess. But in the centuries since the water pump station burial site was disturbed, many believe that paranormal entities have inhabited the station and the surrounding areas. Around 1906, many men in the area became trained engine operators at the pumping station. This opened up more work opportunities on the island for new workers. Only one year after the engineer apprenticeship program began, a 26-year-old man named George Haley took an interest in the program. He'd been working as a stevedore, working at a dock loading and unloading cargo from ships, he was married and he had two children, and he was looking for a higher paying job, so he applied for an apprenticeship at the pumping station. On his first training day, they showed George around the station and taught him how to do the oiling. He was eager to learn and do things himself. Other times he sat back and watched the more experienced engineers work. With everyone busy with their jobs, 
no one saw exactly what happened to George next. The man training him was up on the platform in the engine room, and it's believed George had been down in the boiler room getting his oil can. Apparently, when he reached over, his shirt sleeve caught on one of the oil cups moving up and down with a piston rod. When he realized he'd been caught in the machinery, he let out a scream. It was so loud that the trainer heard it through all the machinery noise while up on his platform above. As other engineers ran to help, the first one at the scene saw George's severed leg by the machine. The rest of George's body was mangled in the machinery and soon dropped down to the floor below. Only a year after the incident, in August 1907, workmen discovered more strange things at the pumping station. They had been excavating for the placement of an oil tank when they came across unusual stonework buried beneath the soil. It looked like an old foundation or possibly the stones of an old bathing pool. There were no historical records of a building or a burial ground existing here. It soon got the attention of the antiquarian Thomas Thrum and Dr. Nathaniel Emerson. They inspected the series of black rocks and saw that they were cemented together with an old Hawaiian form of cement called palolo clay. The researchers then excavated deeper into the stone and discovered more mason work within. They picked away at the structure until they found a blank rock wall about four feet high. As they dug through this wall, they discovered a series of symmetrically laid rocks on either side of the opening, but the area had been filled with large boulders. The researchers didn't understand what they were looking at, but the appearance of the room made one of them think it might have been a tomb. The researchers looked into a legend of an old Molokai chief. His son buried his remains in a great hole, and his body was covered deep with rock, and from the outside, the tomb was sealed shut. A week after the excavation, researchers abandoned the area and the tomb was left exposed. Someone wrote to the local newspaper saying that there was potentially another covering of stone beneath the one they had just been excavated. When they asked a head engineer what was going to be done with the area, he said they planned on placing an oil tank in the hole and covering it up. It's unknown exactly what happened to the area after this, but years later some suspect the odd stones were just a strange natural geological phenomenon, but whatever, or whoever created it left behind smooth exterior walls held together by carefully mixed natural cement, and the seal has lasted decades or possibly even centuries. Today, the original pumping station has since been replaced with a newer building. This location and the old water pump station are now the sites of the Fred Ort Museum. The building is currently closed for renovations and tours have been suspended until further notice, but to this day, many believe the spirits of the ancient burial grounds and tombs continue to haunt the area. But many of Honolulu's haunted stories tie back to the island's history. Some of these spirits that have been around for centuries are known as the Night Marchers. Ricky, a Honolulu local, claims he once caught a glimpse of the Night Marchers on July 5th, 1995. He was with his then-girlfriend Jennifer visiting their friend Richard and his son Ryan. They were out camping at Mokalea Beach, and they got there around 10 or 11 p.m. A flash of light caught their attention in the distance, and it looked like a line of fire ants marching down the mountain by Dillingham Airfield. Ricky thought people were out hunting, but then he noticed that they were carrying strange torches, and it looked like an endless line of fireballs disappearing off of the mountain ridge but he soon realized that these weren't hunters at all. And he remembered hearing the legend of the night marchers as a kid at the YMCA Camp Erdman. One of his counselors always warned the campers about night marchers in the exact spot where he saw them. Luckily, Ricky and his friends survived to tell the tale, but from then on, he never returned to Mokulea. So these night marchers are pretty well known by locals, but they're not well known by tourists. The oral and written histories of these spirits have survived for countless years. We actually don't know really when they originated. And I don't want to butcher their Hawaiian name. I think it's pronounced Oio, 
Oeo. So I'll just be calling them by their English name, which they're called Night Marchers, or sometimes they're called Spirit Ranks. They're always seen in great numbers, and they've been described as, quote, a group of warriors marching in death in a haunted procession. It's believed they march on the last four Hawaiian moon phases. They sometimes announce themselves with loud noises like blowing a conch shell, pounding drums, or marching their feet. And a line of torches can usually be seen traveling along a path, and it's usually in the wilderness. Witnesses have also felt the earth shake while smelling sulfur before these night marchers appear. Others have seen a strange column of mist traveling across the island. But if the night marchers ever come toward you, your advice to run, that's first if you can run, but if it's too late to run, they say you should lay down prone, cover your head and shut your eyes. Do not look at them. Then you're supposed to chant your ancestors' names and pray that one of your ancestors walks among the dead that is marching toward you. So seems like tourists would be screwed in these situations. Like, I want to get a picture. <laughs> Let me get closer. <laughs> right. I want to take a picture of the ghost. They would have no idea yeah. what's going on. My God. So so yeah, if if you are have some ties in your ancestors. To these night marchers, maybe someone can claim you among their ranks, and but if not, really, they're sometimes they're ordered to spear you. Oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah, your best chance at surviving, as they say, according to mysteriesofhawaii.com, is to strip naked, lie flat on your back, try to convince the marchers that you're a bit unhinged, and if you can act wild and strange enough, they might just pity you and move on. So just act like you're basically you're out of your damn mind out of your gourd. Yeah. They they might just be like, Hey, this guy's going through enough. We're, we're going to move on. There's all guys already in hell. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's also a rumor that you can also rub urine on yourself or soil your own pants and they'll just find (laughs) you. They'll just find you repulsive enough. They'll just be like, look, let's, I don't even want to touch this guy. He smells like garbage. But in general, the night marchers, they're not meant to terrorize you. Their goal really is just to protect their most sacred high-ranking chiefs. And the reason, that's the reason they travel at night, is to generally avoid people. So you most likely won't come across them. If you do, just pee your pants and you'll be good. Just shit your pants (laughs) and then strip naked (laughs) and roll around wailing. And you're good. You're good. You're good to go. This episode is brought to you by Uncommon Goods. And you know what? It's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping. If you haven't gotten around to it, the clock is ticking. Good thing is there's no cause for panic because Uncommon Goods has got your back. I've been looking at some stuff. I've been trying to get my my dad some gift ideas. I look, they have this cool hot sauce making kit and they have a, a whiskey making kit that I wanted to get him. So I'm trying to decide, maybe I should just get them both. Uh, He's a Texas man, so what's better than hot sauce and whiskey, am I right? But the good thing is, is, you know, if you don't find a gift for your dad, you find one for your mom, your cousin, your brother, your sister, whoever. They have a slew of gifts. And the cool thing is, is that when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses, which I like. And it's also cool because these products are made in small batches, so they're, they're, they feel personalized. They're super high quality. A lot of them are very unique. 
So you can really personalize your gifts. They're meaningful. They're kind of out of the ordinary gifts. And they're usually handmade or made in the U.S., which is cool. From art to jewelry to kitchen supplies, home and bar, Uncommon Goods has got your back. They got something for everyone. And it's not just the same lackluster gifts that you find anywhere else. Another great thing about Uncommon Goods is that they give $1 back to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash lights out. That's uncommongoods.com slash lights out for 15% off. Do not miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. But that leads us to my favorite story for today. The Honolulu Police Department. Gotta love it. On the other hand, some spirits love coming in contact with people across the island of Oahu, especially in the Honolulu Police Headquarters, which opened in 1992. Let's, uh, let's hear from a retired officer talking a little bit about the police headquarters history. My name is Ada Kroom. I am a retired HPD officer, and one of the pleasures that I've had over, the, over my career with HPD is to put together the Honolulu Police Department Law Enforcement Museum. Uh, one thing I learned about the museum as soon as we start to put everything together to bring things in here, that there was something a little eerie about the museum. Uh, there were times when I was in here when you could always feel that you weren't alone. You get that shadow moving in the corner of your eye. So I did a little bit of research to, to determine if there was a, a basis for something paranormal going on in the museum. What I found was that the Honolulu Police Department the building is built on the site of the Honolulu Rapid Transit Bus Barn. In the 1800s, the trolley cars would come into the bus barn in the evening. They would be serviced, turned around on a big trolley that would turn them around, and then they would go back out the next day. What I discovered was one day two workmen who were working in the mechanism, greasing the mechanism, didn't, were not aware that one car was still out. When that car came in, they turned it, the workmen were crushed. And the Honolulu Police Department is built on that site. Actually, in, well, when the department was uh, first opened, we had uh, a few incidents that occurred at the uh, photo lab, which is the exact site. And eventually they moved throughout the building and, of course, the museum. Wow. Is that wild? That is wild. Yeah. Tragic way to die, too. Though. Crushed that by a trolley car, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Poor guys. I mean, there's so many haunted stories coming out of the Honolulu Police Department buildings and surrounding stations that they decided to make their own YouTube series on it. And they haven't posted for a while. What, at least... I think it's been like five years five since their last plus. post. Yeah. But uh, they have some really, really good videos. Yeah, I love them. Amazing. Let's take a look at uh, one of the videos here. Here's the intro to it. Making Honolulu the safest place to live, work, and play. Now, just about everyone in the department has walked through Kekula Makai at one point or another. But how many of you knew the academy was full of chicken skin stories? In fact, I even cut my hair just so you could see my chicken skin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On a loopy Sparman ghost stories. Love it. Ghosts, obake, makaala, night marchers. Call them whatever you want. 
But over the years, the admin building has been the scene of many eerie sightings. One of the earliest involved now-retired officer Alika Deshay, who was assigned to the training division. Some 15 years ago, Alika walked into the darkened Makai Video Studio, but as he reached for a light switch, he immediately felt a presence in the room. <laughs> this is a dramatization. Studio, I thought this was real. <laughs> Alika noticed a dark, shadowy figure seated on a chair. The figure then stood up and walked directly into the wall, where it disappeared. The encounter Officer Deshay had in our previous story wasn't his first nor his last ghostly experience. Oh, wow, man. I'm spooked. The production on that is amazing. <laughs> love it. The slow zoom into the eyes and it just sits there for a moment. Love it. We've got some more to show you from this channel because yes. it's that good. I mean, for real though, how many police department YouTube channels are covering the paranormal? I don't think I've ever heard of I've never even of seen that. That's what caught my eye about yeah. this was like, what? They have paranormal videos all over their... Yeah. And I mean, it's a great way to just for community building and stuff like that just to, you know, get police officers faces out there in kind of a maybe lighter context yeah yeah a little less serious than all the crazy crime they deal with so i'm all for it but police officers and staff have witnessed a slew of things they've witnessed carts moving on their own shadow figures appearing disappearing disembodied footsteps demonic laughter in empty rooms and figures dressed in police uniforms that vanish into thin air one night over a decade ago, an old security guard apparently passed away while on duty, and it's believed his spirit still roams the police department campus. Here is another one of the Honolulu PD beautiful dramatizations of the security guard spirit. One night while doing routine checks, a new security guard noticed an old man in a similar uniform smoking a cigar near the gym. Whoa! The security guard called like, him that way. to see who the man was. But when he turned the corner by the gym, <laughs> the robotic the movement man yeah. was gone, except for the faint smell of cigar smoke. Even today, many of the training staff report hearing someone door checking their offices, much like a security guard would. But when they go to see who it is, no one was there. <laughs> Both in this life and the next, the old man continued to do his job. There may be something even scarier lurking in the shadows of Kekula Makai, but we may never. No, for sure. Wow. Music is great. Yeah. Man. Incredible. Can't, we need to get Denver PD to do some of Well, I was thinking we should do an episode just on police encounters with the paranormal. Because yeah. there is a lot. Yeah. And I mean, most most police departments don't take the time to do an excellent production like that True. to like dramatize it and True, show you what yeah. they actually were doing. But, yeah. but there is lots of crazy stories of, I mean, you could imagine like being a police officer going to some places that are uh, riddled with paranormal activity. Yeah. That was like, uh, the, what was the last, uh, poltergeist one that oh, we covered yeah. on Halloween? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, like all the police officers they were saw seeing all that stuff. crazy shit yeah. going on at that house. And they were even going against their chief, right? Who was saying it was all a hoax. And they were like, no, that was real crazy crazy man in the police museum on the first floor people have witnessed invisible entities touching people and mannequins dressed in police uniforms moving their arms and blinking (laughs) 
Many believe that since old historic objects are kept in the museum, that it draws the spirits in, which honestly makes a lot of sense. The nearby training academy opened in 1988, and one night a security guard named Tony heard a strange clanging noises that night that riled up the canine units. When Tony went to check out the noise, he noticed that all the shutters on the building were opening and closing on their own. When he got closer, the shutters suddenly stopped. He went and searched the entire building but couldn't find anyone. Here's a few more experience Tony had while working security at the police department. And uh, this clip is narrated by a retired reserve officer, Comer Stamps Jr. This time, Tony was sitting in the breezeway when he heard what sounded like a car horn tooting at the back corner <laughs> of the property. So, of course, he went to check it out. Says, what the hell? At first, he thought it was a car alarm coming from the old garbage oh, incinerator plant no there. in the academy. But when oh, he passed even by the auto even repair better. garage, he noticed that the sound was a lot closer, coming from somewhere on the track. As he moved closer to where the sound was coming from, he noticed a little kid sitting on one of the motorcycles, pressing the horn button. Not knowing who the kid was, he walked up to him and said, Hey, don't do that. The kid stopped what he was doing, looked up, turned his head towards Tony, and just stared at him with a blank expression. But then Tony tried to move a step closer. The kid just vanished right before his eyes. But wait. Tony's story doesn't end there. <laughs> a couple of nights later, Tony was doing his regular routine, closing the front gate, making sure it was secured, and doing his checks around the property. Everything seemed normal, and of course, he was the only one at the academy, so he decided to sit down in the breezeway to pass the time. But as he stared out into the parking lot, he noticed an old lady dressed in oh my God. towards him. <laughs> Jesus. At first, he thought the lady may have been lost or needed help. So uh. Tony waved at her to get her attention. The funny thing crossed his mind. Is that my wife? He didn't hear the gate open. <laughs> so how did she get in? As Tony stood up to ask the old lady, she disappeared. No. Tony thought, oh no, not again. <laughs> But this time, he decided he better call his supervisor about it. So he turned, and guess who's standing there? Yep, the lady in white. And guess what? Oh, shit. Oh, man. She starts slowly walking towards him, eyes fixed and staring at him. By now, Tony is freaking out. He's so scared. He can't move. He's frozen. She's so close to him that he notices that her face looks angry. He tries to yell or scream. Nothing comes out. Then whoosh. She disappears again. Tony let out a sigh of relief and slowly looked around. But this time, no one was there. He sat back down to gather his thoughts. He couldn't believe that the ghost appeared twice and was coming after him. <laughs> Tony was about to stand up and call his supervisor when guess who decides to show up? No, no way. way. Yep. No! This time she was sitting oh right across Oh my God. Him. This like, was run. too much for Tony to handle. Ooh. He sprang up and booked it the heck out of there. <laughs> See, oh. Tony should have taken my advice the first time. And none of this would have happened. But I know what you're thinking. 
I'm just some guy repeating to you the stories that he's heard. I get that. But let me tell you something. These things really happened to Tony. I believe him and all the other officers who had similar experiences at the training academy. I got chills. Poor Tony, man. <laughs> I wonder if they did a random drug test on him the next day after <laughs> after he said he had three encounters. <laughs> like, whew, that is scary stuff, man. I mm, love it, though. Across town in the Kapolei Station, about a 20-mile drive west of Honolulu City Center, officers have witnessed even more paranormal activity. Here's an eyewitness account from an officer who claimed that they saw a ghost. I was sitting my rotationary shift at the front of the station in the security post. It was about, I say, 2 o'clock, maybe 2.30 in the morning. And uh, another officer was up there with me. And I was just organizing paperwork, just general things at the time. Uh, We were just making small talk, and I heard this strange noise coming from the bathrooms and what it kind of sounded like was a chirping sound which caught my attention because I thought was a bird stuck in our bathroom (laughs) when I turned to look what I saw was a male figure kind of heavy set walk right past my view and the head didn't turn didn't look at me stared straight ahead as if though it was following a certain path and not even giving me the chance to uh, address it and say, you know, say, can I help you, sir? Uh, who are you and why are you coming through that door? And he kept walking until he got to the benches area and disappeared right into the wall. That is where everything just turned. It was almost like stepping into the twilight zone. I turned back, I looked at Mark and I asked him, did you just see that? That guy just went through the daggone wall. And he said, of course I did. And he quickly exited the security post. At the time, there was no glass up there. It was very open. So I jumped over the counter and I went to chase this figure down because where this person or this thing came from is strictly off limits to the public. Only the uh, officers are allowed back there. I ran out through the front glass doors by the flagpole looking for this person, whoever I saw, walked through that wall. I really wanted to know, you know, exactly what the heck is going on here. Who is that? And can I see them outside, continue walking, and maybe I can stop them or what have you, follow them? But ah, I was there. Can't find them. And at that point, that's when I realized maybe I was chasing a ghost. Oh, man. Then he had to spend the rest of the night at the post by himself. <laughs> right. His buddy bounced. So I would be, night, oh, man, I, I would be my shifts. I uh, went downstairs and I described everything that happened to the Anduli lieutenant. And they told me it was Officer Brown that had passed away at the Kapolei security post a few years before I was assigned there. He uh, apparently passed away from a massive heart attack. Now, I've never met this person. I've never seen them. So there's no way I had a background as to exactly who this person was. But they were convinced that that, that is who I saw. Since the detective's original sighting, the ghost officer Brown has never been seen again. Isn't that crazy? I, what's fascinating to me about that last one is that he went to his lieutenant and was like, yo, I just saw a ghost. And the lieutenant was like, yeah, you did. 
Like oh. doesn't even question right. him at all. He's just and he like, knows exactly who it is. Who it is, yeah. So, so like it makes maybe, you think he's seen it too. Exactly. Yeah. Or other reports have come in. Yep. But yeah. Wow. That's spooky, man. Yeah. And, uh, think it's a bunch of made up malarkey? Or you think it's we got a real haunting on our hands here? I mean, you know me. I think we've talked about this before that tragedy, uh, desecrating burial sites, things like that. I think set the stage for a haunting, you know, I'm more on the skeptical side of things, but, uh, with the sheer amount of hauntings that are in Honolulu, I'm a little skeptical. That's like every single one. I think that's maybe just a little more people might be more superstitious there or something like that. That might be at play, but it does, it does have the foundation of a place to be haunted. Uh, what do you think? I believe all of it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's all haunted, man. I don't follow you for that. That's I mean, the, especially this last one too. I do think there's something to the fact that people haunt. You know, doesn't just because you're haunting some some place after you after you die doesn't mean that it's you're you're there for nefarious reasons, right? Like you're right. just part of your essence, your soul, or something it's is sort existing. of just existing there. And it would make sense for an officer to essentially haunt their place of work i mean they spend so much time there and then to die there in a tragic way like that whether it's you know having your life taken from you or just dying of natural causes like a heart attack i think there's something something to that yeah i don't understand it fully i don't know that we'll ever understand why it happens but it seems to happen in most cases where people are heavily tied to the location that some sort of um haunting occurs and and for me i always go back to the the theory of it's residual it's a residual haunting so it's not that that person died and didn't cross over to the other side but in fact that there's there's this energy that manifests and you know can manifest into potentially you know an apparition of a, of their human form at times and that it's like almost like a if you think of a a replay happening mm. you know what i mean of their last moments on earth and that that energy that replay is just on repeat and it happens from time to time for that, whatever reason that reminds me of the one of my favorite theories of the sleep paralysis demon is it's yourself just watching your life yeah. back you know right. like a flashback upon death that you're just recapping that that entity that there is actually you disembodied from yourself and just watching your entire life pass by yeah i like theories like that it's not as written in the sand like we know exactly what this is right. I, I like with theories that are a bit more abstract or well i think it's all very about. abstract i don't think any of it's like clear cut what's yeah. going on i think with the lore at least you know where it's like definitions of a yokai is like we have the legends and folklore of that that's where i'm a little bit less i love the stories and i think culturally we we can learn a lot from those stories but i'm less likely to believe that a yokai actually exists mm -hmm. but the more i don't know if you get more abstract like what you think i'm more on board with that this residual well, the, energy the that we folklore don't really... is like the simple explanation yeah that down. we all can and obviously there's some exaggeration put into those stories to make them more spooky and make them feel more like a scary story versus like here's what actually happened and what's really going on yeah but, and those concrete stories i think they're easier to digest and and yeah understand a bit more than just something that's mind-boggling right right but i do i do really believe that 
while you're here in this physical plane and on this, you know, we're in this physical existence that you can be tied to a location, place, thing, even an object in some way, shape or form that some, you know, like if you think about what's the most powerful emotion or what's the most powerful thing in the universe? And I would argue it's love, right? Right. You know, love is such a powerful thing. And if there's something that you truly love during your physical stay, is there some sort of, of ripple effect that happens when you pass? And obviously the physical things of this reality don't go with you into wherever we go. And so is it possible that part of your your physical essence, being, soul, whatever you want to call it, gets left behind or attached, stays attached to whatever you may may love in this life? And for a lot of people, it's it's the people they leave behind, right? And that's right. why their loved ones oftentimes experience their and like the ancestors things makes a lot of sense to me because it's like it would make sense that I mean they're you know, they're still here in in some shape or form, but it's always in a very you know, it's not very dynamic. It's a very static representation of who they are. The night marchers, you know, they're seen kind of the same way. And so it, it's almost like this replay that happens of this residual energy or form that's left over after they've passed that, uh, you know, if we're lucky to witness it, then, you know, that's great. But a lot of us don't because I don't think it, it I don't think they, it reveals itself to you just out of pure you know, want, right? It's just something that happens and maybe it happens for a reason, might go even deeper than that. But I think it makes a lot of sense for these places, especially burial grounds make a lot of sense. I mean, um, for for hauntings to to take place in those locations that it's not necessarily like that person didn't cross over to the other side and they're still here, trapped here on this earth and they know everything that's going on and they're conscious still and they're observing everything that's happening, but rather it's it's this leftover leftover part of that person that's still here whatever it may be that we're we're witnessing from time to time and you know it makes sense why people witness you know have strange paranormal activity happen to them that they they attribute to a a loved one that's passed and i think mediums really helped reinforce my belief in this because they're clearly communicating with something and and so, and i don't know if it's actually their community like what are they communicating with and what is that exactly is it actually the the deceased person communicating to them from wherever they are now or is it some imprint of 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 that person that is being communicated with based on what they left behind you know what i mean like in this in between between completely moving on to whatever's next it, and again it all comes back to belief systems but yeah and i think that's where you and i differ because Funny enough, you bring up mediums is that's where actually I draw the line on the supernatural where I think a lot of mediums, I think they're exploiting uh, people going through immense suffering. Sure. And people reach out to, I don't know, when you're in grief, you know, you kind of just, you want answers because it's hard to grasp when people are gone. And I think mediums play on that. And that's where I kind of draw the line where I'm like, you're kind of just full of it. I, I don't appreciate that. I, I appreciate the theories that you uh, present. Um, so you don't believe in mediums at all? Or you just haven't met one or seen one that you're convinced by being legit? I think the nature of mediums is what turns me off. What you're doing is is like gross to me. 
So yeah, I think you're. So you don't think there is a gift there? There might some be. People? I think if you're charging for that, I think it's unethical. Okay, that's fair. But if you're just a medium and you have these insane talents and you do it strictly for free to help people in the mm-hmm. grieving process, I mean, more power to you. I don't. I don't. I don't have a name. I can't list anyone who actually does that. that you should check out Tyler Henry. Does he profit off of his? Uh, yeah, he definitely profits off of it, but it's like, I think it's, I think you could say anybody out there, I mean, look at the pastors at your church, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, everybody's got to make money in this world. And and I think it's how they make that money and, and what they do with it says a lot as well. But I think if you have a gift like that, like obviously you have to survive and like, like he's a very, he's, he's one of the, one of the mediums out there that I feel very confident saying i think he's legit i think he does have a gift and and from everything that i've seen and just the way that he carries himself it's a very it's in a very authentic genuine way and i don't think he's he's a somebody out there he's not a charlatan in my eyes like he's somebody who truly has this unique gift to to pull things from somewhere and give people answers that they're looking for and he has no prior knowledge of of these people prior to meeting them and stuff it's it's very interesting and it might him you might change. I do agree. There's a lot of mediums. I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah. Like you're you're reaching for sure. Yeah. And you know what's your real intentions here? Because they're also blasting with like, you know, join this, join that. You know, pay me for these classes, this, that. And there's yeah. definitely a lot of those out there. But I do feel that there are a few people out there that do carry this unique gift and can communicate with whatever it is. And that's the thing is, I don't think they even know what it is. They don't have the answers as well. They're just getting information from somewhere. And whatever it is, I mean, that's that's the the golden question um, that all of us want to know. But for me, it just it it all kind of ties back together, and it makes a lot of sense. And so I really resonate with the with the imprint um, haunting because I feel like it's not necessarily most of the time it's not a conscious ghost that you're dealing with, but you're dealing with the remnants of that that person's spirit on this planet and and that's what you're seeing manifesting into these apparitions into these ghostly figures and and there's a reason why they don't interact with you right like people encounter them but the minute you try to interact with them or talk to them or like try to get information from them they disappear and that's the end of it. it's like almost like the end of recording right it's like right. it's on a loop and then it just stops yeah same and, with like the little girl where she just wants a mother figure right, and someone right. to play with her she's so just it's like that when that girl cycle. died what you're getting is the the replay of those last moments of her life and mm-hmm. the feelings that she she harbored in in her heart as she passed and part of that for whatever reason i can't explain it is is left behind in some way shape or form that's able to manifest itself uh on an ongoing basis and people run into it and i wonder if those people that do run into it are are connecting with it in some way that there's a reason that they're almost like having this experience with these different spirits rather than you know some people don't yeah and i feel like i'm one of those people i've never had an experience with a spirit or ghost or anything like that i want to and i yearn for it. i'm like you know i'm not i'm never gonna be a hundred percent believer until i have my own experience but part mm-hmm. of me is like i probably won't because i'm like so you know adamant about having this experience with them and that they're like for some reason i'm not able to to ever have that but i don't know that's just me yeah you know yeah. i'm like I'll travel the world until I have a ghostly encounter, yeah, but yeah. I may never have one because maybe I'm just, I don't know. There's something about who I am and how I connect with, with this world that it just won't ever happen for me. But well, that's just that's, my theory. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one 
area we can agree on. We both want to have those experiences. I would love to have a ghost experience. I mean, that's that would uh, that would be the beginning of my. I would then. I'm trying to formulate words here. I'm sorry. That it, would convince you. I don't know even if that would convince me, what but it would multiple, start. The what if journey. you were with people who also saw it with you? Mm. So you know that you weren't just seeing shit, but other people were seeing the same things. I don't know. The the mind's a powerful place, as they say. So you really think the mind can do some crazy stuff? Yes. I mean, I've, I'd like, I swear I've seen the images of like faces and stuff uh, out of the corner of my eye. I'd be like, wow, that looked like a geisha woman with like this very, with bags under her eyes. And like, I have a detailed vision of a face, but I know I'm like, that's just me being creative. That's just kind of my mind. Or are you just smoking too much weed? (laughs) (laughs) Or weed dust in me. I see geisha women every day. Interesting. Yeah. See, I don't get that at all either. I don't ever have like, I don't, my mind doesn't play tricks on me in that way of like, okay. of like creating images that aren't really there or anything yeah. like that. Like yeah. I live in a very like plain world, I guess it's yeah. all very plain to me. So I'm like, it will really stick out to me if something you saw something for real dramatic yeah. and paranormal happens to me. Yeah. I would, I don't know, knowing myself, I would just write it off as that was just the trick of the mind. Interesting. What yeah. about you, Danny? What's your thoughts on, on these, these Honolulu hauntings? Do you, <laughs> Are you with Austin here and think you're pretty uh, skeptical about all of it? I'm actually kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Wow, that's good to hear. Especially mm. on the medium take. Uh, as far as Yeah, medium, what's your take on mediums? As far as mediums go, I don't necessarily believe them, but in defense of you, if someone does have like a special skill that not many other people can do, of course make money off of it. You need money to survive. You need to make a living. You have to do this. I think someone that maybe has like a good, this grant has a great gift or skill that wants to do these things for free is great in like theory and morality, yeah, right? but it's unrealistic in survivability. Exactly. It's just not the way the world works. Yeah. It's just not the way the, world you know, works. if we all could just use our gifts and creativity for free, well, fuck yeah, we'd all do it. Right. Yeah. But I, this is different because it's always contacting the deceased and that is a, that's huge. It's a bold and yeah. And yeah. that's why if, I don't know. I just feel gross. If you're going to, if you're going to be able to claim to do that, I just, it just makes me feel well, a little like disgusted. What? It, and I understand that. And my arguments, that would be, how do you feel about pastors and priests and people of God who claim to speak to God and get messages from him and, and preach to a bunch of people on how they should live their lives? And yeah, I'm not on board with those people. <laughs> so I feel icky about them. that. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, if you claim that you can speak to God, like God told me that you need to buy me a twenty million dollar jet so I can fly around the world and yeah. preach to the masses. <laughs> I know exactly you know? who you're talking about too. Yeah, no, those people are garbage. I uh, if you have a direct line to the divine, <laughs> actually, I take this back. If you have a direct line to God, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Because that is a very personal line to have. It's when you start trying to monopolize on that line and and trying to tell other people that you can access that line for them. I think that's where it gets. I get totally turned off by it. But if you have, if you truly believe you have a direct line to something out there, that's a that should be kept sacred. I keep that to yourself. That is a very strong connection to have. All right, I can appreciate that. I think That's, we, I think we, I gotta get a, a good medium on the show, yeah, and and try to 
try to make some connections there because i mean i was a big skeptic when it comes to mediums for a long time as well and i mean i've 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 met a self-proclaimed medium before i've on the show here and a lot of you uh really weren't convinced by her and and you know i i definitely had my uh my feelings too after talking with her i think she said a lot of good things but i think you know she didn't really confirm to me her gift but if someone out there knows of a good medium that isn't like tyler henry he's like i mean he's doing big a-list celebrities and stuff like he's he's very booked which we actually had somebody who was friends with his mother reach out to us and and try to connect us but i know he's a he's a busy guy i mean that would be the dream that'd be like the dream because i do think he has a gift and i don't think he's a charlatan i think he's really i mean just based on everything i've seen i'm like wow there's no way he would have known these things and these people would not have like jeopardized their own credibility to lie in order to just help him make a show or something um there's a great netflix special uh that tyler henry has i recommend watching but if there's anybody out there that knows of a medium maybe a youtube medium or something like that that's actually that could convince that actually could convince these guys i mean (laughs) i need like tyler henry level skill uh when it comes to being a medium um let us know because i would love to maybe bring one on again with these guys and really have another conversation also see what what comes through because yeah you might be surprised i would yeah i'm um, open to it so yeah that'd be really interesting but also let us know your thoughts on on these haunted spots in honolulu because i mean for me it, it all checks out for the most part for me i think there's a lot of a lot of history here that lends to credible ghost activity and and hauntings and um it really really makes sense when when you look at it and also at least through my perspective in my theory it all kind of checks out um do i think some of it's pro- exaggerated to kind of play up the you know kind of the paranormal you know sort of um fun stories absolutely yeah. yeah i mean some of it for sure i mean they they spend a lot of time and effort on those videos to, <laughs> yeah. to bring you the High quality the spooky quality content <laughs> yeah. there so Zero out of ten. Was, how, how convinced are you? Yeah. Of, of, I mean, uh, those videos uh, really didn't do it justice. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, it's it's all fun at the end of the day. So yeah, let us know your thoughts on this episode. It was a lot of fun, fun doing a paranormal uh, episode once in a while. It's it's nice to kind of get back to the roots here. Yeah, and it feels like return to form, right? It does. It does. But that is going to be it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, and you know, we just want to say we're thankful for all of you out there who have have been joining the lights out lights out crew and you know new or old subscribers we we appreciate every single one of you uh seriously it's it's made this so much fun and uh you know we're kind of coming to the end of 2023 and we've got a quite a few good episodes to come here before the end of the year but hopefully you uh have had a great thanksgiving and we'll we'll see you guys next week and until then the lights out everybody (laughs) 